0: You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported.
1: Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm
2: Cade Young. This is the WFHB Local News for Wednesday august 10th
1: 2022. later in the program we speak with wfhb general manager jar turner about the station's third annual block rocker which takes place on saturday august 20th more in the bottom half of tonight's
2: program also coming up in the next half hour bigger isn't better on better beware your weekly consumer watchdog segment on wfhb more following today's feature but first your local headlines
1: on august 4th at the ellettsville plan commission meeting president of the commission david drake introduced the new planning director denise line okay before we do roll call i want to acknowledge and welcome our new planning director Denise Line,
2: who was just appointed as the yeah, planning director, this will be her first meeting
1: as the planning director. Oh, thank
0: you so much. You're welcome. You. Congratulations again. Thanks,
3: I appreciate it. Yeah, okay. congratulations. congratulations.
1: Line presented a plat approval request for nine additional lots at Prominence Place.
0: Um, you've approved phase one of this before, which was 63 <clears throat> single lots in September of 21 this in the first phase that you approved um, was a road to be installed west vika drive and that will go into those nine lots that will also be um, parallel to loudon road but they won't be accessed off at loudon road Um, the lots will meet all size and dimensional requirements As specified in town code new infrastructure will be constructed pursuant to town requirements the tech review committee met on july 20th Um, just very few comments just from the fire department about a few things he had to do Um, there everything's been satisfied petitioner will have to get a letter of credit um, to cover any outstanding items prior to the recording of the plaque. Um, I guess that's about it for me. All notices have been sent. Um, staff recommends approval.
1: Commissioner Sandra Hash asked if a water issue in the neighborhood had been addressed.
0: My only other question was from your first section that butted up against Prominence Point. I have a friend that lives close by and they have, there was water issues. So have those been resolved uh, in the backyards of the existing homes?
1: The petitioner responded that the water was removed. Value-built construction project manager Ernest Z explained that they are requesting approval to add on nine lots to create homes within a
4: reasonable price for Ellettsville residents. I'm Ernest uh, with Value Built. Um, we've been a builder in Ellitsville for several years now and we our first major project in Ellisville was Prominence Place and it's moved along nicely. Um, I know that town and I have worked well together in the past and we've always had a good rapport, but this is really just a small extension of what we've already done. Um, probably the same product we've been trying to target. Homes anywhere from 225 to 400 in that range to give people options. We did have one close recently at 227, so we're trying to create more realistic price point housing for you know people that live in Ellsworth as opposed to you know some of our competitors shooting in the five and seven hundred thousand dollar range. Hash asked, "How many houses have
1: been completed so far?" Xi said 15 to 20 have been finished, with 15 to 20 more under construction.
4: We think there's a real need for, and while we're looking at other projects in Ellitsville specifically, to create, like my goal is not that dissimilar to Cook's goal, (laughs) you know, with their Texas Pike project, and we're actually looking at bidding that right now, but creating housing that's really realistic for, you know, people that, you know, Have regular jobs, you know. But, you know, that's something we're working on right now. Land is very expensive in Ellitsville now.
1: The commission voted unanimously to approve the preliminary plat approval for nine single family lots in Providence Place in Ellitsville. The next Ellitsville Plan Commission meeting will be held on September 1st. At the
2: election board meeting on August 4th, election supervisor Karen Wheeler shared late CFA-4 filers requesting a waiver since it was their first time being late.
5: I have a few that have not, they just need approval from you to be forgiven because they're all first-timers.
2: Bean Blossom Township resident Ronald Hudson explained why he filed late.
5: I was caucused in in uh, January of nineteen. And I didn't receive all the training that everybody else received. And after reading the law, I still had trouble believing that I had to fill out the CA form. Uh, but I have nothing against it doing it. But uh, at the time I filled it out, it was two days late, so
2: the board unanimously waived his late CFA-4 filing. Next, the board voted to waive Thelma Jeffries and Nathan Williamson's fine since it was their first offense as well. Then Wheeler gave updates on the department and introduced a new staff member, Dominic Thompson.
5: I guess we do have a very big update. We have a new temporary employee, not temporary, part-time, in voter registration. Dominic Thompson has joined us this week and um, things are going well. We finally got them all connected to the state, which is not a small thing. And that's a good thing because there is so much security with the um, statewide voter registration program that it's, it's taken us really three days to get through to get all the T's crossed and I's dotted to make sure that everything is good. So anyway, I'm very happy to have a new employee and it's in good timing for the fall election.
2: The next election board meeting will be held on September 1st.
1: Up next, WFHB News Director Kate Young speaks with Jar Turner, General Manager for WFHB about the station's third annual Block Rocker, which will take place on Saturday, August 20th. We turn now to that interview.
2: So, Jar Turner, General Manager for WFHB, thank you for joining us on the WFHB Local News. Thanks for having me, Cade. Well, thank you for being here. So, the third annual WFHB Block Rocker will happen Saturday, August 20th from 5 to 11 p.m. So, Jar, tell me a little bit about what this event entails.
6: So, we started in 2018 with our first Block Rocker, and the idea was to have a summer block party with... A diverse lineup of performers and various vendors to uh, connect the community with their services and the first one was a major hit. Uh, It had lots of people who were kind of wandering in and walking their dogs and uh, brought a lot of uh, attention to the area uh, in particular to the, the little scene happening here on 4th Street between Walnut and college. There's numerous bars there's, and there's just, you know, within this little 400 foot radius, there's a lot of activity. And I felt the block rocker would be a really good way to encapsulate all the music scene, uh, especially locally in, in Bloomington.
2: So the lineup, I wanted to chat a little bit about the lineup. So we have seven local bands performing as far as I know. So how did this lineup of local artists and um, musicians kind of come together?
6: Well, I believe there are six. So what I really wanted to do in the lineup is not just do a billing of all indie rock bands. There's, there's no shortage of indie rock bands in Bloomington. I also didn't want it to be a, a lineup of all singer-songwriters. I wanted it to all of the bands to complement each other, but not be like each other. And so the idea was to um, book a series of bands that sort of fit together like a puzzle piece to make a whole. And uh, it was actually a weeks long process to find find the bands and 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 book them. You know, we could have we could have had five bands with you know you know in a couple of days if we were just looking for for convenience. But we really wanted to find something that represented Bloomington and you know, really promotes diversity and our mission at WFHB. And for those who might not know, do you know off the top of your
2: head, WFHB's mission statement?
6: The the mission statement of WFHB is to support local diversity and to provide a platform for the exchange of ideas. So we feel like this is a good representation in event form for our programming. Absolutely. You know, we are community radio. And
2: according to the to the press release that we have up on our website, this is a community building event. So I just wanted to ask you, what do you mean by uh, community building?
6: Well, first of all, it's open to the public. There's no charge. We've managed to get some funding from the city of Bloomington and some other sponsors. And so the event is open to the public. There's no barriers to uh, for with income to attend. and. We've got a number of nonprofits who will be setting up and we've got like 10 nonprofits now setting up. And it's just an, uh, an opportunity to kind of get together one of the last free weekends of, of summer and just get together and talk and hang out and, you know, see each other, especially coming out of two and a half years of COVID of just not seeing and not making those connections. So that's something that we wanted to bring back and we took a pause for this event uh, in 2020 and in, in 2021. And here we are now. Um, we talked a little bit about community. Uh, we talked a little bit about what the ev-
2: event entails and I don't know about you, but when I hear about an event, generally speaking, I want to know what's to eat and what is to drink. So would you walk me through the food and beverage situation at the block rocker?
6: Sure. You can't expect to have a, a, f- a five or six hour event without food and drink. So uh, we will have uh, beer served by Bloomington Brewing Company from the BBC. And we'll also have spirits from Cardinal Spirits. And we'll have food from Rasta Pops. So there'll be food trucks and popsicle stands. Rasta Pops will be there. I believe the Orbit Room will be there serving hot dogs. Also, Peely's Taco Truck and their new their new truck called Wonder Buns, <laughs> which we'll, we'll, we'll see what that's all about. But yeah, so there will be food and drink. And hopefully that will kind of stabilize people and, you know, get people there for, for the long haul. One of the, the formats of the event is that it's free and open to the public. So there's nothing lost. If you show up in 15 minutes, decide it's not your scene and you want to leave, but you know, we really hope people will stay.
2: Right. Especially to see, you know, all these great local, local bands. Now I wanted to ask you a bit more of a personal question. So in your experience hosting and attending this event in the past, what is your favorite part of the WFHB Block Rocker?
6: One of my favorite things is to look around and see the audience and then to see them entertained and smile and just seeing old friends come out and making new friends. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's great to hear. Now, Jar,
2: those are all the questions that I have prepared for you, but I want to give you the last word. You know, think about all the event details, maybe things we haven't covered. Is there anything else that you would like to add before we part ways?
6: Well, you know, I really would encourage everyone to come out. There's a lot of logistics involved and there's a lot of planning involved. And, you know, the efforts of the WFHB staff to put this event together are many. And there's just a lot of lot of planning in this. And I just hope that the community shows up and really appreciates it.
2: Well, Jar Turner, general manager for WFHB, thank you for coming on to the WFHB local news. Thanks for having me. You can find more information about WFHB's third annual block rocker at WFHB.org. Up next, bigger isn't better on Better Beware, your weekly consumer watchdog segment on WFHB. We turn to host and producer Richard Fish for more.
3: The immense explosion of scams and swindles in the 21st century usually victimizes people like you and me, cheating us out of hundreds or thousands of dollars, but sometimes, down through history, scammers go after much larger amounts, and these immense scams can boggle the mind. Charles Ponzi, the originator of the Ponzi scam a hundred years ago, cost his victims about 20 million bucks before he was caught. Then in 1925, about the time a penniless Ponzi was getting out of prison, a Portuguese fellow named Alves dos Reyes forged a contract with the Central Bank of Portugal, authorizing him to print money he conned a british company into printing up over a million british pounds worth of perfect portuguese banknotes and started circulating this beautiful counterfeit living high and wide until the bank of portugal noticed the duplicate serial numbers and dos reyes went up a portuguese river for twenty years also back in the nineteen twenties there was a swedish engineer named Ivar kruger a good engineer he helped build the plaza hotel in new york who became known as the match king he had nothing to do with helping people find love he tried to get a world monopoly on the sale of the kind of matches you use to light fires people all over the world bought his stock, and he loaned the money to countries all over the world in return for a monopoly. By 1931, his Swedish match company controlled 250 match factories in 43 countries. But that was when the Depression hit. Countries stopped payments, and the match monopoly went up in smoke. Kruger must have known that when the accountants started poking through the financial rubble, they'd discover that he owed more than the Swedish national debt. Besides, he had forged $142 million worth of Italian government bonds, and fascist dictator Mussolini wasn't going to like that. So he shot himself. In America alone, thousands lost their life savings. In the 1990s, there was a company called BreX Minerals, which bought land in Indonesia they thought might contain gold. Their mining engineer, one Michael de Guzman, took samples and didn't find any gold, so he shaved some off his wedding ring and added it to the samples. That's called salting a mine, and it's an old, old trick. The company's stock went from pennies to $280 a share, snapped up by wealthy and savvy investors. The scam worked until the Indonesian government decided to get involved. In 1997, they hired an American firm to survey the site, and their report said there wasn't any gold. bre stock crashed. Its investors lost billions of dollars, and de Guzman was at least more up to date when he committed suicide. He jumped out of a helicopter. Sometimes you just can't take people's word for things. Find out the facts before you open your wallet. I'm Richard Fish for WFHB News and Public Affairs.
7: Better Beware comes to you from WFHB Bloomington, Indiana. Find all our episodes at wfhb.org.
0: If you can help put the kibosh on a con,
7: email beware at wfhb.org. Remember... Swindlers never give a sucker an even break.
2: Up next, we have an excerpt from Kite Line, our public affairs program devoted to prison issues in the Midwest and beyond. Kite Line airs at 5:30 p.m. on WFHB. The program is available online at WFHB.org or wherever you listen to your podcasts.
7: Next, we have our monthly roundup of prison disturbances as compiled by Perilous Chronicle. On May 25th, George Floyd Day, over 30 prisoners at Granville Correctional Institute on HCAV, high-risk security, began rolling protests against the harsh conditions of their captivity, according to a communique shared with It's Going Down. These protests included rolling hunger strikes, fires, altercations between prisoners and armor-clad police forces over issues like police brutality, new mail policies, issues of sentencing, and other issues involving the daily life of incarceration. Prisoners organized an outside call-in support campaign that was initiated on June 23rd to commemorate Juneteenth.
8: Immigrant detainees at two private detention facilities in California are on a labor strike. According to detainees who called into the North Carolina public radio station KQED to explain their demands, the World Socialist website reported, the strikers are being detained at the Golden State Annex in McFarland, California and the Mesa Verde Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE, Processing Center in Bakersfield, California. Both facilities are operated by GEO Group. According to the detainees, the strikers at Golden State have been striking since June sixth, while the strikers at Mesa Verde have been striking since April twenty-eighth. The detainees are demanding that they be paid the legal minimum wage to clean the dormitories as well as safe and sanitary working conditions.
7: Last month, on June 14th, two prisoners escaped Pike County Detention Center in Pikeville, Kentucky. They walked away during work detail in Coal Run Village and did not return. As of August 1st, one prisoner has yet to be recaptured.
8: On June 23rd, approximately 80 prisoners detained in the J2 unit at the Federal Correctional Institution in Sheridan, Oregon, refused meals in protest of poor conditions inside the facility including lack of medical care and prolonged lockdowns. When the hunger strike started, it was reported that showers were then denied to the J2 unit. The next day, a memo was issued by the warden stating that showers were postponed due to continued threats of assault to staff and that showers would be reevaluated the following week. But, according to Oregon Public Broadcasting, a public defender noted that the heat wave in late June in Oregon coincided with the withholding of showers and thus may have been a tactic to end the hunger strike. On June 27th, it was reported that prisoners accepted their meals.
7: Two prisoners at Morgan County Jail in Decatur, Alabama, are now facing escape charges after an attempted escape on June 26th. One prisoner helped another acquire a trustee uniform and leave their designated cell block. A guard noticed that the prisoner, who had quickly changed into the trustee's uniform, was not supposed to be wearing that type of uniform, and alerted other guards who then halted the escape attempt.
8: On July 6th, on work release and court-ordered furlough, three prisoners cut their ankle monitors and did not return to Bonneville County Jail in Idaho Falls, Idaho. One prisoner was recaptured on July 9th in Bismarck, North Dakota, Another prisoner was recaptured on July 21st after a high-speed chase that ended in Madison County. As of August 1st, the third person has yet to be recaptured by the police.
7: On July 9th, two prisoners escaped River City Correctional Center in Cincinnati, Ohio. Allegedly, the prisoners broke a window and jumped off the roof. Staff didn't discover they were missing until the next day. One prisoner was shot and killed by the police on July 11th after a nearly 12-hour SWAT situation. The other prisoner was recaptured on July 13th. There have been multiple escapes from this facility lately, as well as over 12 escapes from various facilities throughout this area of Hamilton County over the
8: past two months. On Sunday, July 17th, six prisoners escaped from the Bridge City Center for Youth in Louisiana, According to Jefferson Parish Council member Dino Bonanno, the youth overpowered a female guard, locking her in a closet before then escaping from the building in an unknown manner and slipping through a break in the barbed wire fence. Five of the six prisoners were recaptured three and a half hours later by Jefferson Parish Sheriff's deputies. Law enforcement alleges that the driver rammed a deputy's cruiser several times before eventually fleeing into the woods at crashing the vehicle. The last escapee was apprehended by Louisiana State Police later that evening following a chase in an allegedly stolen vehicle.
7: A prisoner at the Orsainville Detention Centre in Quebec City, Canada escaped from prison grounds on July 21st, allegedly with the help of two accomplices. According to authorities, two other prisoners can be seen on surveillance cameras helping the prisoner escape, but did not try to escape themselves. The escaped prisoner was arrested two days later in in Quebec City. His alleged accomplices were also arrested. Orsainville Detention Center was the site of a daring 2014 helicopter prison break, one of two helicopter prison breaks in Quebec in 15 months.
8: Four detainees escaped the Silverdale Jail in Chattanooga, Tennessee, in the early morning of July 23rd, by breaching an exterior door and scaling a perimeter barbed wire fence. Police later arrested a girlfriend of one of the runaways, who they allege aided in the premeditated jailbreak. Two of the four escapees were arrested a few hours later in an area motel, and the other two were arrested later that evening.
7: On July 24th, two prisoners at the Morgan County Jail in Alabama took a car from Decatur, Alabama, business during a work release assignment and fled their captors. The pair were arrested less than an hour later. The two prisoners were the fourth and fifth to escape from work-release programs coordinated through the Alabama Department of Corrections since April.
1: Support for WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Cade Young and Noel Herhusky-Schneider in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Cade Young.
2: Better Beware is produced by Richard Fish. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. For WFHB, this is your engineer and executive producer,
1: Cade Young. And I'm Benedict Jones. climate action from the bottom up. Coming up next on WFHB Community Radio.
2: You've been listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio.